0: Hear the word of the Lord. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, you ask and you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses. Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy with God. Or do you not think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives greater grace. Church, hear those words. He gives greater grace. Therefore, it says. God is a prose to the proud but He gives grace to the humble. Let's pray. Be thou my vision. God, when you are our vision, it humbles us. but not a humility as somebody who's been beaten into submission and doesn't desire you, but it humbles us the reality that you give mercy and that you give grace and that you would love us, and it humbles us in a place of joy and glad submission to you. God, I pray... That the heartbeat of this gathering. The heartbeat of my life. Could be the words of that song, be thou my vision. God, we thank you for being able to gather here this morning. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in each one of our lives. God, I pray that this morning that we would be open to your word, that we would be open to your spirit's work inside of us. God, I pray that you would do. The work that was on Damon's sweatshirt revival. Revive our hearts, oh God, we are in desperate need. Of you. God, there are many among us who are sick. There are many among us who are recovering from illnesses. There are many among us who have illnesses raging within our bodies. God, I pray that you would give comfort. God, I pray that you would heal for your glory and for your namesake. God, there are are many among us who are struggling relationally. God there are many among us who are struggling emotionally. God I pray that you would be our vision. God we're thankful that you've made it possible that we can see you. God I pray as we Now, move to a time where we're opening up your word that we would see you clearly. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. God loves his children so much. I hope you know and believe that this morning. That if you are a child of God, he loves you so much. The God of the universe. Has saved you. He's redeemed you. He's adopted you into his family. You have gone from being an enemy of God to a friend of God. One of the passages of the Bible that I love the most when it's talking about our relationship with God is when he tells us, you who were once far off have been brought near. Praise God this morning. God loves you if you are one of his children. And our father who loves us. Desires to give us gifts, desires to give us himself. Desires to give us grace, desires to give us mercy. He's called us, he's called us not only into relationship with him, but he's called us with a purpose, with a purpose in this world to know him and to make him known in the way that we love, in the way that we worship, in the way that we live. That we are to be a people that are reflecting who he is, and this is a wondrous and mighty calling. And he has loved us so much that he has made us a part of his work in this world. This truth is why this text is so sobering this morning. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. This passage is foundational. For us, when we look at the world, when we look around, when we look within the church and ask, what's wrong? Why is there so much conflict? I mean, it explains it all, doesn't it? When you look at the war that's raging in Russia and Ukraine, what is the source of conflict? Passions, pleasures, desires. And so nations rage war against one another. We could also look in the streets of Chattanooga and ask, what is the source of conflict on the streets when you look at gang violence and Criminal behavior, isn't it this? That the, you want, you desire, and so you are envious, and so you take, you steal, you murder. Schoolyard fights. I was telling somebody the other day, we were talking about um, same-sex education. You know, with, uh, My boys go to an all-boys school, and, and I said, you know, I think that there's not nearly as many fights, and one of the reasons is because all the fights I remember... In my middle and high school were over a girl. In your marriage. Among siblings. The first murder in the Bible. Isn't it fascinating? Cain and Abel. And what was the source of that conflict? Cain was jealous. He was envious because God accepted his brother's offering and didn't accept his. And so he killed him. I wish this was just a world problem, don't you? I wish it was just a world problem. I wish that this didn't describe us. But I believe that as James is writing this, he is writing this to the church. He's writing this to Christians. I mean, I think that I think it's pretty obvious, but there's some debate over this. But I think that even in verse one, what's the source of quarrels and conflicts among you, you readers, if we look at the broader context in the verses that Gary preached on last week, verse 13, who among you is wise and understanding, let him show by his good behavior and it contrasts. Uh, Wisdom from above and wisdom from below, and our text flows right out of that this morning. We're not going to get to the the end part of this, but but even the imperatives at the end of our text. James is saying, you submit to God, you resist the devil. This is written to the church and it's a sad, sad state of affairs. God's children those who have been shown mercy and those who have been shown grace. That we struggle. I want you. Before you get too caught up. To think about your own life. You knew it was coming, we'll bring the chair back out. You sit in the chair and hear these verses. And one of the things that I want you to notice is if I sat you in the chair this morning and I asked you, hey, what's the source of the problems in your life right now? How many of us would say, oh, my boss? My wife? My brother, my sister, my teacher? Not what our text says, is it? It's very clear. Your pleasures wage war in your members, in your body. You lust, you commit murder, you are envious, you fight, you quarrel. Some of us, even right now, are tempted to elbow our spouse and say, you need to listen to this. You need to take responsibility for you. And that's not what our text is telling us. What might it be like this morning if we hear this text and we let the word of God stand over us and we sit in this chair and we evaluate ourselves and we let the you hit us like the Holy Spirit would like it to you. There's this internal war, isn't there? We all feel it. We all know that it's going on inside of us. Last week, it introduces this text. It flows right into it. And I I want you to hear, as Gary preached last week, there's, there's two ways of wisdom. There's one from above. And in verse 17 and 18, James tells us this. But the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace and the other wisdom that is in battle for our soul. Listen to what our text from last week says about that. But if you have bitter jealousy Selfish ambition in your heart. Do not be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but it's earthly, it's natural, it's demonic. Here are the parallels between this verse and the verses in our text this morning. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every Evil thing. If I'm right. That this is a text written to believers, then this is what we call a warning text in the Bible. And you've heard me say this before, if you've been here for any time, that warning texts in the Bible are are, are meant for us to be taken by the Spirit. As these texts which provide guardrails for us. That in the Christian life, as as we have these guardrails, what happens is that as we're about to go off the road, as we're living in a way that we shouldn't be living, if we're following earthly, worldly, demonic wisdom, what happens is that we hit this guardrail and the goal is that we see this guardrail in the text, we hit it, we feel the pain and we move back towards the center. And that's what I believe that the God wants to happen to us this morning. I mean, why else, at the end of our text, if this were not the purpose of this, would James tell us, draw near to God? Unbelievers can't draw near to God. Believers draw near to God because their hearts have been changed and they want to draw near to Him. This is what believers do. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord. That's what a believer does. Does? Submit to God. Unbelievers don't submit to God. The evidence of belief is submission to God. And so believers this morning, hear this text, sit under this passage. Let it change you. Preaching is an interesting thing. There are several things that I think about when preaching and and over the past couple years, one of the things that I have tried to pay attention a lot to is the tone of preaching. I don't know if you ever think about that, but there should be a certain tone in preaching and it should change. I mean, think about it this way. If I was talking about the grace and mercy of God, but was doing that in an angry way, the tone wouldn't fit, would it? Or what if the other, what if our sermon this morning was on the horrors of hell and I somehow did that delightfully with a jingle? And you may say, "Okay, Lewis, well, how do you know that? Well, you get the tone from the passage because the passage has a tone to it. And you may say, well, you're not hearing James talk, but there's clues within the text of what the tone should be. And so you're like, why are you telling us about this? I'm telling you this because so many times this passage has been preached with the wrong tone. This is a hard hitting passage. And there are texts that should be hard hitting. This is serious. This is convicting. And it should be. But so many times this text has been preached by pastors in a way Where they just want to beat the fool out of you. And then they leave you on the mat. All bloody. Unable to get up. Almost with the attitude of. Arrogance or one upmanship. And it's not how this passage should be preached. Preached. The goal here is not to say, hey, you idiots, what are you doing? Snap out of it. What's wrong with you? Now, it is a wake up call. It is serious. It is heavy. It is weighty. But he's not going to leave us here. He's not going to leave us here. In the first chapter, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Remember when we preached on this passage and we talked about this next phrase, who gives to all generously and without reproach it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith without doubting. Remember that we talked about God as our Father and that that passage, that wording there meant that God was longing to give to us. He's longing to give to His children. And as we look at our passage today, you lust and don't have, you murder, you're envious, cannot obtain, so you fight. You do not have because you do not ask. Where things have gone wrong is that we're not even seeking. Some of us aren't even seeking the wisdom that's from above. Some of us aren't even consulting God. And and then we get into this another this other issue in verse three that even if we do, we're asking we don't receive because we're asking with wrong motives so that we may spend it on our pleasures. We're not desiring this wisdom that leads to peace and gentleness and reasonableness and mercy. Even our prayers display our lust and our envy and our murderous intentions. And you may say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I have never murdered anybody. One of the things that's interesting is that if, if we had the time, if this was more of a classroom setting... One of the things that we might do is to look at the book of James and the Sermon on the Mount, and it's obvious that James knew the sermon, which is fascinating because the Gospels hadn't been written when James wrote But all over the book of James, we hear the Sermon on the Mount. And do you remember how Jesus talked about murder? You who have heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Have you murdered? Culmination, I think, the culmination of this attempt under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by James to really lean in on us and to push us and to sober us comes in verse 4. You adulteresses. It should bring to mind the Old Testament. God had chosen Israel for himself. The imagery in the Old Testament is Israel is the bride, God is the groom. God is always faithful, he is always loving, he is always kind. And God's people continuously turn away and chase after other gods. And God, out of love, is constantly drawing them back in. I can't tell you the number of times that somebody has sat in my office. And the reason that they've come to see me is because they've had an affair. And most of the most of the. Most people don't understand this, that most people who have affairs didn't go out looking for affairs. It's actually very rare in marriage counseling that somebody, you get those folks, but more than often, what's happened? They've befriended somebody, flirted around, and then before they knew it, that took them way further than they wanted to go. It didn't start off with, hey, do you want to have an affair? It started off as a drift away. I can't tell you how many times that somebody finds themselves in that position and they're just in tears and they are in despair. And what they're saying is, I can't believe I did it. She's such a good woman. She doesn't deserve this. I don't know what I was thinking. If I could go back, I wouldn't even have said hi to that person the first time. James is leaning in here. James is leaning in here and he's telling us that we can't straddle the fence. We can't play around with sin. We can't play around with wisdom that is not from above. He doesn't just call that wisdom natural and earthy, he calls it demonic. We can't flirt with it. We can't say hi to it. And as Christians, as Christians, so many times we want to flirt around with things of the world. I mean, how many times have you been involved in questions in Christian circles where the question is, Where's the boundary? And the reason we want to know where the boundary is, is so that we can walk right up next to it. And live right here. Sometimes we live when it when we're talking about wisdom and how we should live out our lives. A lot of times I think we live with our uh, life verse being. What the snake said. to. Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Living that way. Living that way leads. To us turning our back on God and his ways. Had a man one time. And woman in my office and the man was in the midst of an affair that he wouldn't give up. And the, the woman said, I won't give you the exact quote, but something along the line of I'm not going to play second fiddle to that other woman. And the man's response was, you're not second fiddle, you're first. And he was dead serious. She finally had to say, I'm not interested in a band. But How often in our Christian life. Do we live that way? Maybe you're saying right now, Lewis, you talked about tone. And you sure are serious and heavy and beaten on us. Here's where it gets glorious. James doesn't say, get up, try harder. Doesn't say it. In fact, I think the turn in this text of the tone comes in a place that we maybe don't think of and we don't see, but but think about the opposite where James says therefore whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, what's the implication of the reverse of that? God is your friend. God is your friend. I, I mean, Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples, when he was talking about his death and his resurrection, burial and resurrection, Jesus, in talking in this moment is, remember, we know the vine in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches, abide in me. If you stay in me, you will have all you need, you will have all that you want, you will have all that you desire. I am good and I will give you that life. And then do you remember these words in John? 15, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. You're his friend, you're a son. You're a daughter. You're not his enemy. And then we have verse five. And this this verse is hard for many reasons. One reason it's hard is that it says, or do you not think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? So there's a quote here, but there's no direct quote or even close quote in the Old Testament. And I think what James is doing, he's not quoting a specific verse. James is kind of quoting like a thought for thought, like, hey, here's the thought. And here's the picture that he's painting. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made dwell in us. I think what he's pointing us to, just because he said he's just said in verse four, you adulterous, he's pointing us to this Old Testament reality of God. As the groom and we are his bride. And over and over in the Old Testament, we hear the prophets, God speaking directly through the prophets to his people, saying what? God jealously desires that you come back to him. This this idea of jealousy is picked up right out of the Old Testament. Think of Hosea. is this picture of God whose wife is playing the harlot and Hosea over and over and over again in mercy and in grace stays open-handed and is the picture of God and His bride. God and His people. I just think this is beautiful. Grammatically, the, the second part of verse five is hard. It's difficult. But I, I think that the NAS, NASB and the ESV get it right. Some of your Bibles say this quite a bit differently. And so I'm wanting to just linger here just for a second, because I want you to hear what I think is the right way to interpret this. And it's marvelous. He, God, God is the one here. Who jealously is desiring. It's that Old Testament image. He jealously desires. One translation says he yearns. And what is he yearning for? Listen, he hasn't left you on the mat. If you are a believer, God has given you his spirit. In the NASB and the ESV, when it says he earnestly desires, notice the capital S. It's not your spirit. It's his spirit, which he has made to dwell within us. Let's go back to John. Chapter 16. Look at verse 12. Jesus is still speaking. It's in this same discourse to his disciples. I have many more things to say to you, but cannot bear them now. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, listen to this. He will guide you into all truth. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come to the prophets and the prophets would prophesy the very word of God to his people. Brothers and sisters, if you are one of God's children, his spirit dwells within you. And what Christ is telling us is when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. You're not left alone, beat up and bloodied on the mat. He will guide you into the truth. He's not speaking on his own initiative, but he's speaking what he hears. He will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. The Holy Spirit this morning. The Holy Spirit this morning in us, if you have felt that conviction, if you have felt that weight and that heaviness, God. Is yearning that the Holy Spirit inside of you guide you into truth this morning. Don't harden your heart. Hear what the Spirit is getting ready to say to you. And it's great news, and it's joyful. He gives a greater grace. The conviction and the weight of your sin, the conviction and the weight of you turning your back on God, the conviction and the weight of you walking away from the Lord like an adulterous person, the conviction of the weight that you are quarrelsome, that you have conflict, that your pleasures are waging war and you're letting the demonic wisdom win, that you have lust, that you commit murder, that you are envious, that you are Full of fighting and quarrelsome. That you're asking in the wrong ways. Let it be heard this morning that God's grace is greater than that. This is not a text to beat the fool out of you and to leave you there. This is a text to convict you so that you might turn and repent. And what happens when we turn and repent if you are a Christian every single time? Grace. 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 We don't get what we deserve. We get grace. And some of us are so torn up inside because we think when we're under the weight of this sin and when we realize that we've gone ways that we shouldn't go, when we realize that we're not who we were created to be, we beat ourselves up so much. And we think of God like He's... An earthly father who is just never willing to look you in the face and say, I love you. You're forgiven. We live in condemnation. We live under the fear of punishment and shame. I had a really, really good friend of mine that um, in another part of the country that was a became pastor of a pretty large church, and um, this thing came out that uh, was very public and that he, um, very hard, very heartbreaking. And uh, in it and through it, there was also the realization that, I mean, we were close, and that he had lied to me. Um, Even if he hadn't done what he all that he was accused of doing, it was evident that he lied to me. (laughs) So I started following this pretty closely, and I kept texting my friend and reaching out and saying, hey, man, are you okay? Can I pray for you? Call me, call me, call me. Never heard from him. Finally, I, I called and he answered. What he said was, what do you want to know? And that hurt. I said, hey, I'm really not interested in knowing anything right now. What I'm interested in really knowing is how are you? You know, I live a thousand miles away or so. Do you and your family need to come here? I can find you a place to stay. Y'all need to get out of there and come here and heal and whatever needs to happen. Are you okay? How can I pray for you? I'm not calling to get all the gossip and I'm not calling you because you lied to me. He didn't believe me. Very good friend. Because of everything that happened, he changed his phone number and I don't even... I don't even know his phone number anymore. Do we approach God that way? It's kind of simple, isn't it? But it's often so hard. Who does God give grace to? The humble. He opposes the proud, he gives grace to the humble. Why is humility so difficult for us? I mean, we know in salvation that the only thing that we bring to the cross is our need, completely humbled, can't do it on my own. The cross of Christ is all I have what we're saying this morning, all I have is Christ. And yet somehow in sanctification. In the process of. That God is taking us through from the time we're a Christian until we get to heaven of becoming more holy. Somehow in sanctification, we think that the process is different. Brother and sister, you bring the same thing to the party. Humility places us in a position where we can receive the blessings and the joy. That Christ has to offer. And it's not the blessings of the world. It's better. But when we're proud, we become the sinner. God is somehow supposed to serve us. And that we're viewing the world wrong and it leads to our destruction. And I pray this morning that you would want more of Him. Can you rejoice this morning that God is Yearning to give you more grace. That you who have become a friend of the world. If you will just come to God in humility. He wants to give you more grace this morning. You who have been an adulterer. You who have walked away from God, if you would just turn and humble yourself, God wants to give you more of himself. He wants to give you grace this morning. You who have been murderous, conflictual, vengeful, quarrelsome, you this morning can have more grace. You who have taken the vehicle that God has given us to get wisdom and tried to turn it into this thing where we can just get our pleasures filled from our prayers. You, this morning, God wants to give you more grace. In a parallel passage in 1 Peter, we know this passage, don't we? Peter says this, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and He will set you straight. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and He might not crush you yet. Can we rejoice in the reality that we are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and he will what? He will lift us up. It's the promise that we live under. (laughs) Son. Daughter. Friend of God. Come to him and receive his mercy. His grace is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful for this text. I'm thankful for its working in me. Revive our hearts this morning. Bring us to the throne of your grace. Humbly and joyfully. It's amazing. In your name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand with me, we're going to end a little bit differently this morning. We're going to sing a chorus of an oldie, but a goodie. But I want you to hear the verses before we sing. I want you to let these words soak down in your soul. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured there where the blood of the lamb was spilled. Sin and despair like sea waves cold threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold. Points to the refuge, the mighty cross. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace. Freely bestowed on all who believe. You who are longing to see His face. Will you this moment His grace receive? And let's sing together. Grace, grace. God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. And I pray this morning that you believe that. Go in peace. In the grace of God.